0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara.
2: Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best of your sports talk for Thursday, July the 18th. I'm your host, D.A., and in Boston, even though the Red Sox are defending World Series champions, not all is well. The entire season has been a rocky one, an inconsistent one for a team that won a record amount of games for that franchise's history last year and route to a punishing effort through the postseason and the World Series. But this year, not the same, and punctuated by, yet again, Dennis Eckersley, V. David Price. Two years ago, they got into it because Dennis Eckersley was critical of one of the Red Sox pitchers, and David Price didn't like it, accosted him on the team flight. Apparently, that never went away because recently, Dennis Eckersley was asked about it in the Boston Globe, and then David Price had to respond. Can Price just let it go? Apparently not. We start with Dale and Keefe on WEEI in Boston.
0: In the immediate aftermath, of that incident when Dan Shaughnessy broke the story. It was a huge story. We talked about it for, for a while. And I remember I think there was like really quickly thereafter, Dennis Eckersley was on the call of a game and price was pitching and everybody was like, Ooh boy What's he gonna do? Get your popcorn. Nothing. No. Just called the game like a normal person would call a game. There was, no, there was nothing well, there. He can't call it like a normal person. Well, I'm sorry. He <laughs> called <laughs> it like Ek Let me take it back. Yeah. yeah, Call it like any other Ek game. You're yes, right. exactly. But then, you know, and we mentioned this yesterday, you know, we reached out to him. We would love to have him on the show, maybe to clear it up or get his side of it. He he politely declined. I'm sure most... He politely declined everyone. Everyone. Very politely. He just everyone. said, look, I, I, don't, I don't want to talk and about Price it. And Price is making it out like he doesn't shut up about it. It's like, yeah, it's been two years ago. How many times has he talked about it? And guess what? He didn't bring it up. Like that's the thing. That's what's that's what's crazy about it. And we can play some of the the stuff because Price spoke for about five minutes or so yesterday, and a lot of it is it proves your point, Dale, that he didn't read it, and it also says, all right, who's really over it? You're Matt. You're claiming that Dennis Eckersley's not over it, but who seems to be more upset about the whole thing? That
3: was two years ago. Come on, dude.
0: Yeah, but and he's he's the one that's tweeting about it. He's the one that's that's holding like a mini little uh, like a tiny little press conference in the clubhouse about it. He seems more aggravated still, holding on to it than Eckersley does. Let's start with this, and and your point
4: is is exactly right. This was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Alex Cora was not the manager. John Farrell was the manager, famously. John Farrell completely screwed up how he handled it. Yes, he did. John Farrell is the one who could have changed things, could have changed the narrative, could have brought the two guys into his office, could have said, listen, we're not doing this on our airplane. Yeah. Uh, instead, he was so afraid of pissing off his clubhouse right. that he felt like he had to defend his player even when he knew his player was wrong. So it was John Farrell then who didn't handle it properly. Mm. Alex Cora told OMF yesterday, yeah, I talked to him this morning about it.
0: Right. I mean, Alex Cora understands, wait a minute, Let's talk here. Yeah, Let's see what's, what's going on. What's going on? Because, again, he's overreacting to a non-comment, and then he's claiming uh, that, you know, why does he keep talking about it? But no, he was asked about it. And then there's a part in there, and Sham, I don't know if you can find it. There's a, there was a part where somebody asked him, like, how would you want David Price – or I'm sorry. Well, how would you want Dennis Eckersley to answer these questions? And Price says, oh, I don't care, but, like, don't bring it up. It's like, no, you do care. That's the he, whole point. You care very much. He did like That's what's so maddening about it. It's like you're, you're talking to somebody where you know you're not going to change their mind. And he's so fired up. And David Price thinks he's in the right. He thinks that he's done everything right. He goes on to, to try to trash Dennis Eckersley, the person, essentially, by saying none of his teammates liked him, which is ridiculous. I can tell you –
1: go ahead. Yeah, go, shame, ahead, go so. ahead
0: and play that part for me. Thank you. David, how do you – How would you prefer he respond to questions when he is
3: asked about it? I don't care. So he doesn't want to talk about it. Like he said, he wants to move on. If you want to move on, you move on.
0: But you you have to say some word. Like, words have to come out of your mouth because guess what? I guarantee you no comment is Is still a story. It's worse. You're right because we can read into no comment. We can say, what do we think it means by no comment? No comment is probably worse. So on, on the one hand, you're in kind of a tough spot. As soon as you are asked about it, you got to come up with something, and you can. It can be twisted in any different direction. I thought what Eckersley said was like, "Listen, I took it as you don't need to be friends with everybody. Like, I'm not going to talk to him. He's not going to talk to me. He's moved on. I've moved on, and whatever." And then Price spins that as, "Oh my God, this guy won't shut up about it." It's like, no, it was a long article, and it was one question in this whole article that was talking about, you know, drug abuse and, and everything else. So, I just think Price is completely... I thought he was in the wrong then, and I think he's in the wrong again now. I, okay. <laughs> well, I don't Well, that is definitely true.
2: David Price is one of the weirdest guys in Major League Baseball, and I guess his teammates like him, but it's hard to really understand why because he's always griping and moaning, seemingly, and making a mountain out of a molehill. I mean, let's face it. If he did not win the World Series last year, and to his credit, he pitched great in the World Series and the postseason, then there's no way he would feel this empowered to go back on scorched earth on Dennis Eckersley. The things he accused Eck of aren't even accurate, that his teammates didn't like him, that nobody would ever vouch for him, that used to play for him or manage with him. I mean, give me a break and... For David Price, he's the worst type of tough guy. He's a sensitive, hear-everything, need-to-respond tough guy because a true tough guy does not care about the little things people might say to slight him or about him. Price is such a phony. Meantime, on to the NFL. Peyton Manning was quoted as saying that Tony Romo said he had always thought about being a broadcaster. And Peyton Manning said, well, I had always thought about being a quarterback. But did Romo ever actually say that? He says no in an interview with Ben and Skin on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Some people heard that, and maybe people are reading
4: into it too much, saying, wait a second, is he saying that Romo was sitting there in the pocket thinking about being a broadcaster? What is he saying there? So I, I wanted to know if you heard those comments and if you had any thoughts on them at all.
5: Uh, I actually hadn't heard those comments, you know, like the tunnel, the little bubble I live in. (laughs) Yeah. But, uh, you know, ultimately, I mean, that's something I never actually said. So that would be the first (laughs) thought. I think I I didn't start thinking about being a broadcaster until I was contemplating retiring. And so at that point, you know, then you're going to start to think about your next phase. And, uh, you know, like anything, like when you're playing football, it's all-consuming. There's literally nothing else you know in some ways you know when you get, like when you go off to training camp, you don't even know what's happening in the world. I mean you're so it's it's all encompassing and um, I feel like in some ways right now with golf a little bit of that as a broadcaster, I love it, I enjoy it, but I think that was never a part of the you know mindset when you're playing football. I mean that's that would be a that would be silly to say that you were thinking of something like that. But I do believe that as soon as you're done and you start the next thing, I mean, you do want to be good at what you're doing. I mean, I know it's tough for Ben and Skin to have a great radio show, but (laughs) they they somehow do it and they make it incredible. So that's the goal. I mean, I'm done playing. I get back into broadcasting. I'm in broadcasting. I'm in golf. It's like, hey, if we're going to do this, let's not be average. Let's try and be really good at this, and that's that's the next mindset you do. So whatever it is you're trying to do, I mean, for me, it'd be hard just to sit back and be like, oh, I'm pretty good. I'm okay. Yeah, That's not really my mental makeup, I guess.
6: I don't mean this to sound uh, condescending or obtuse or whatever, but was broadcasting easier than you thought it would be?
5: No. Uh, this, I mean, it's not a secret, but before I ever went on air, I think one area that... It's a little shocking. It's just okay. We'll do a game, and then you'll get out there because we think you're pretty good. But you know, I talked to CBS, and I was like, "Well, I'm not just going to randomly, you know, go out on air without knowing who I am or what I'm doing." So I got to give Jim Rickoff, Jim Nance, CBS team credit because we, I did a, a lot of games. I mean, I literally practiced as if I did a full season, It's not two seasons worth of games, and then on my own at home, and just taped it and evaluated it. <laughs> I mean, just between us and every other listener listening right now, <laughs> I, think, I think what I found really quickly when I did the practice games, my very first time I did a game, I just talked normal, and I listened back, and it sounded like, you know, I was the teacher from Paris Bueller's Down. He was like,
7: Bueller, <laughs> Bueller, Bueller. I mean, it was so boring. I was like,
5: gosh, I can't even stand listening to myself. It, it's always hard to listen to yourself. You always critique everything. I always feel like I stink. But I do think that having listened to that, evaluated. And then I tried to be, you know, gone mad in the next game. And then I tried to be blah, blah, blah. And I went through, like, all these different variations of tone, things and then finally what i found was for me it's just being at dinner trying to get you to like care about my story and not like be ready to you know look at your phone you know if you ever have been at dinner you know this again i mean he's dying to look at his phone and just uh uh-huh that's a great story but i gotta check my email maybe a twitter account or something
6: he's looking at it right now tony
2: You know, usually quarterback brethren don't go after one another, and Peyton Manning has never been a guy that has ever slighted the opposition or fellow quarterbacks. So I have to think the place this comes from for Peyton Manning, whether Romo said it or not, is I think Peyton Manning and the rest of the NFL quarterbacks that really achieved great things, Hall of Famers, guys who won Super Bowls, I think there's an annoyance around Tony Romo that he was – immediately put up on a pedestal as soon as he started commenting about the game, that he had seen the game better than anybody else, or there was kind of a a revision of his career, and I think people that actually won and were Hall of Famers kind of rolled their eyes. Romo overnight became the darling of the NFL quarterback fraternity from sports media and from fans because... He was so easy in that commentator booth. And I think there's just kind of overall a little bit of an annoyance of, oh, right, the golden child, Tony Romo, and an eye roll of, sure, yeah, we got it. Romo's smart. Romo's great. Romo this, Romo that. And a lot of the guys, I think, just roll their eyes at him. Now, Baker Mayfield took a shot at the New York Giants fans saying that now in Cleveland, Odell Beckham won't have to worry about... Johnny-come-lately fans, fans that won't show up, fans that won't love him. So Boomer and Geo sunk their teeth into this on WFAN in New York.
8: I've given the Giant fans a lot of crap over the last couple of years because I think they're delusional that Eli Manning still has enough in him to take that team to the playoffs. But never once did the thought cross my mind that they aren't some of the best fans in the NFL, the most dedicated, the most passionate and for someone to suggest that who knows nothing of the New York Giants, their fan base, and the organization is ludicrous. Now, I get why Baker Mayfield's doing it. I totally understand. He's got to coddle the baby that he just got in his building. Yes. He's got to give him his bottle. He's got to rock him to sleep. He's got to change <laughs> his poopy diaper. And he's got to do all that for him. Fine. But you can do that without taking on some of the league's best fans.
4: I don't know why. I. <laughs> He said it perfectly. I never heard it put like that. He said it perfectly because that's exactly what Baker's doing. I, he's basically coddling his baby. Right. I'm swaddling. He's, he's swaddling. swaddling. He's, he's swaddling <laughs> he's he's Odell. Yeah. Right. And he'll find just how difficult Odell can be. Uh, you know, and I was thinking about this as uh yesterday because I was over at the Giants facility, and I was just thinking of uh, what was going on, and with uh, all the stuff that all the changes that Gettleman has done over the last, you know, you know, twenty months or so, and, <laughs> and I was just thinking about uh, how much of a pain in the neck Odell Beckham Jr. probably was to Gettleman, uh, to the ownership over there, to the Maras and to the Tishes, and also to to uh, Pat Shermer, and I'm sure in some respect to Eli Manning, but you would never hear Eli Manning. Uh, say anything negative about anybody. So uh, now they're going to find out in Cleveland exactly what the Giants are dealing with.
8: Yeah, and, and Odell Beckham Jr., too, by the way, you think that the Giant fans and the Brown fans are any different? No, they're not. They're very, very passionate people. The difference is that the Giants have actually experienced some success in recent memory and the Browns haven't. If Odell Beckham Jr. pulls that same crap in Cleveland that he pulled here, they're going to hate him, too. Well, I, I, They you know, are!
4: Well, it's, it's kind of like what happened with Antonio Brown in Pittsburgh, right? Sure. A- eventually, it's going to come to a breaking point somewhere, just because of the personality uh, challenges that you have with Odell. I mean, he's just a different dude, you know, and he's got multiple personalities, and he's all over the place. His teammates do love him. I will say this. I do believe that his teammates are enamored with him and love him and respect him and respect his ability. But I think the coaching staff, the front office, the ownership, that's a whole nother story. And, you know, I think there was a definite lack of respect there last year. And if you have a player of his magnitude that says he doesn't want to play with Eli Manning, sure. Then guess what? You know who are you who are you picking?
8: Yeah, and and by the way, I do see that you know Baker Mayfield, and Odell Beckham Jr. Everything's great now, but things start going south. And Baker, what he demands and his type of personality, and I could see those two clashing, and then Odell will turn on him like a Doberman, and then go on ESPN and trash him too, like he did with Eli Manning. So be careful
2: what you wish for with uh, Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Man, how true is that, that this is just about coddling Odell Beckham? And Baker Mayfield doesn't do himself any favors with this type of stuff because, look, you're a quarterback and you're supposed to drown out the noise. You're supposed to throw wet blankets on smoldering fires, not inflame them. And Baker just likes to make fires, and I think he's going to have to grow out of that because when you are a quarterback of a playoff team or a Super Bowl team or a contender The whole bit is keeping everything even keel and blocking out noise and avoiding distractions. And he is walking right into them. He is creating them out of nowhere. And so, you know, I understand wanting to make Odell Beckham feel loved, but how far can you go? And if you're going to do so and then create more controversy around you by taking a shot at another team or another fan base or another city. It just doesn't behoove you. It is not beneficial to try to win games. I think Baker needs to graduate past that. The New Orleans Saints are one of the favorites in the NFC, perhaps getting back to a Super Bowl for the first time in 10 years. Hall of Famer, linebacker for the Saints, Ricky Jackson joined WWL Sports Talk in New Orleans. How will the Saints react after the no call, the horrendous no call in the NFC Championship game last year?
4: What is your take on the upcoming season with the Saints and expectations
1: uh, this year?
7: Well, you know, my my whole thing is, you know, I'm looking for the Saints to be about 12 or 4. But, you know, a lot of people can, you know, you can talk about the football games all you want, you know. Uh, anytime you give a, chance, a team a chance to the stay in the ball game like we did, you know, uh, a lot of times, stuff like that happens. You know, you can't leave it. We we left the game up to the rough And Whenever you leave it up to the rough read, it will always go your way sometimes. But so, you, you know, that's the way I look at it. We, you know, you got to get them timeouts out of their hands. Well, you know, at we at the be- the, Ricky, at
2: the beginning, you know, uh, come on. Uh, we didn't take advantage, beginning in the momentum to score more points against the Rams. You know that.
7: Right. You know that, well, well that the Rams was actually. the weakest team we played, though. I mean, so we should have. We should have beat them pretty bad. To me, they were the weakest team we played. And uh, one of my best friends kept telling me that, what they were going to do. You know, we was walking around the Superdome. And that and, uh, being Eric Dickinson. Me, yeah, well, he kept telling me what was going to happen, and I just didn't believe it. He said, watch this, y'all going to do something, y'all going to give it incomplete, and we're going to get the ball, and we're going to win the game. Exactly what happened Boy, that kind of broke my heart, but... The Saints will be back, you know. They got the best coach. They got the best quarterback, probably one of the best three or four quarterback that would play the game. So they'll be back. Got some good rookies too, you know. So I'm kind of impressed with them. Ricky
3: Jackson, Pro Football Hall of Famer, here on Sports Talk at Ricky57Jackson on Twitter. Ricky on Twitter. Ricky, do you feel like Sam Mills should be in Canton with you?
7: Yeah, I feel like he should be in Canton. You know, what I mean, they only had three hundred. Uh, about 18 players to ever get in, and they got uh, 186 or something in now. And I mean, I see some guys going in that, uh, you know, that you know, right there where he he's just as good as that he should be in. I mean, you know, I, I look at us four was great, you know, great linebackers, and, and, and you know, you always want your, you know, counterpart to get in with you. You know, you're hoping that sooner or later put him in. But, you know, if Carolina got anything to do with it, they're going to push him to get in because they really love him. They got a statue in the right. front of this mother and stuff. So, you know, they treat him like he was a, a, a one of the greatest slayers ever. So, you know, that, 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 that might help him get in. And I, I hope that he get in. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that Pat and Vaughn get in, but it's going to be a long shot for, right. for for them, too. But I think that Sam might have a chance because he will to see what Carolina did too.
2: It's a pretty big question because the Saints have now had two devastating ends to the playoffs. Two years ago in the Minneapolis Miracle and then last year in the Superdome losing to the Rams on the egregious no-call by the officials, clearly past interference. You know, Can they emotionally get over the hump? Because sometimes you get that close and then coming back the next year is even harder because you know how close you were and you deserve to be in there. Let's face it, the Saints deserve to be in the Super Bowl and they would have given... The Patriots a much better run at things than the Rams. I mean, that Rams offense was so bad. Goff was so awful. You know Drew Brees wasn't only going to put up a field goal in that game. So I think we could all wish that the Saints get a little bit of redemption here because they really were robbed at the end of that game, the NFC championship game. But, boy, sometimes it's just too hard to get back over that hump emotionally. In Baltimore, Lamar Jackson begins his sophomore season. And an interesting little note here, he's getting credit for being a guy that's working hard with his team and with his teammates to get in condition and get ready for the upcoming season. And maybe something that Joe Flacco didn't necessarily have is something that people respected him for. Here's the Big Bad Morning Show on 105.7
1: The Fan in Baltimore. You got to feel good knowing... That a player knows that he has some limitations, the player knows that he has some things he has to work on, and he spends his entire offseason working on those things. That that to me makes me if you don't like the guy, which I do, it makes you at least respect him. A lot. And
3: apparently he has. You know, he's done a lot of things that um let's just say his predecessor was accused of not doing very often. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, Joe had, you know, gave us a good run, gave us a championship, but his reputation was he was, you know, not the first one in, last one out. He'd work his out. He was never in the slack, but he didn't put in the extra hours. Didn't work in the offseason with receivers, things like that. So that's the only thing I can say about that. I'm, I'm happy. Hey, look, everything I've heard about Lamar, I'm playing, even Monday, I was playing golf with a couple of guys. And they asked me questions about him. And he, I said, look, everything I've heard, and I've heard this from the coaching staff. He works really hard, and he's willing to learn. does not think he knows everything. With, to me, those are all the things you want. You know, he just – because so many guys think they know
1: everything he's, and are unwilling to be coached. See, here's the thing that 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 he's a victim of. In our society, if something is different, it's wrong. He's different. He's different quarterback. And when you're different, you don't do it like someone else do, does it or everybody else does it you come under a lot of scrutiny. Every mistake you make, see, he should do it this way. When the people that you compare them to make mistakes as well. The people you compare them to, and it's funny because he's replacing a quarterback whose numbers are the definition of mediocrity. Yeah. The definition yeah. of mediocrity. I mean that that if you if if I put up Flacco's career completion percentage and passer rating and didn't put his name next to it. And say, what do you think about this guy? You would say, uh, he's okay. Yeah, that's what you would say. Right. If you if you didn't put his name next to it and you just mm-hmm. put those numbers up, you would say, okay, mm-hmm. he's okay. But yet, you know, we 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 it seems like we're comparing him. We're acting like Lamar's replacing Johnny Unitas. I said
3: so so I used <laughs> Drew Brees yesterday. It's like, he's not replacing Drew Brees. It's so just it's like, that's the
1: part I don't get. Number two, it, he's not going to be the most accurate guy in the world. All right, but. More than most quarterbacks, he's going to throw the wide-open receivers. You know why? Because of the threat of him running. Mm-hmm. He's going to keep people honest. Safeties and linebackers aren't going to just be able to turn their backs and find receivers. You know, you have to play defense against Lamar like you have to play defense in basketball. You know how I play defense in basketball? See ball and man. Mm-hmm. That's how you defend in basketball. So when Lamar has the ball in his hand, if I'm a defender, I got to see ball and man. Well, a basketball court is a lot smaller than a football field. So I can see ball and man and be 20 feet away from you in basketball. But in football, I got to see ball and man. I could be 20 yards away from you. Mm. That's a big difference. So so now when I got to see ball and man and Lamar takes one step, he may be stepping up in the pocket. But because he just ran for 25 yards against me, and I'm a linebacker, I'm definitely afraid. Uh-oh, he's about to take off and run. And that one false step may cause that 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 uh, tight end or that running back to be wide open yeah. now. And wide so, open
3: in the NFL is a couple yards. So now yeah.
1: Lamar's margin of error as far as accuracy, accuracy is concerned is much greater than much most other quarterbacks because now he's freezing DBs. He's freezing linebackers.
2: You know, maybe that was an underlying part of why Joe Flacco had run his course and maybe been so polarizing in Baltimore. I mean, the guy delivered a championship. The guy won a Super Bowl MVP honor and had an all-time historic postseason. But it always felt as though Joe Flacco was never completely embraced and maybe that organization was wondering if they could get more out of him. And maybe that's it, that Flacco behind the scenes just never had the next level commitment or work ethic or camaraderie or teamwork that – You really demand out of your quarterback, and it's a great sign if Lamar Jackson is showing that this early in his career. Finally, the Clemson Tigers are national champions, defending national champions, and Dabo Sweeney has himself a powerhouse monster. But can you believe that youthful Dabo has hit 50 years old? Already two national championships, and he hit 50 years old. So here he is with the clubhouse with Kyle Bailey on WFNZ in Charlotte. Dabo, how do you feel?
6: I I still feel 25. I mean, it's just crazy. It just is unbelievable to me. It's just a number. But, I I mean, because I was 38 when I got the job as an interim, and 39 uh, when I became the full-time coach because my birthday was in November. And uh, it's just a blur. It's just a blur. It's just like that, you know. Uh, Now I've got, you know, two kids playing for me, and and, uh, my last one's a 10th grader. I mean, it's just an absolute blur. But, I, you know, I – I, mean, I don't know what 50 is supposed to feel like I feel great uh, so I'm excited about it man I mean i'm I'm glad I made it here and and uh I think back I used to think my my dad my mom I was like man they're old uh, turns out they weren't that old no heck no yeah. heck no but I, I got uh, I, I got so much more to do and, and I'm and I'm thankful that I'm only 50. I got a got a long way to go
3: well you look good last thing and Appreciate he won't it. kill he won't kill me for this one I asked Dave Claussen this I tried to squeeze it in on Satterfield too you could spend an afternoon with anybody walking planet earth today they got to be alive but any afternoon somebody you want to learn from pick their brain just be around them anybody on earth you get to spend an afternoon with them who is it
6: oh man somebody you've never met so many people i've never well i I met him but it was only like you know a minute uh and, and i was 24 years old uh young young coach at alabama he didn't have a clue who i was but michael jordan <laughs> i'd love to hang i'd love to hang with michael jordan shoot some jays luckily for you you now know
3: a guy i host the hornets pregame show so when you're here in charlotte next time we'll, we'll sneak you upstairs I, I, he
6: has eluded me all these years i met dr j last week <laughs> i met dr j at the espies and that was so cool i met alonzo morning met ralph sampson I even met Lonzo Ball. Uh, really? Go figure. Uh, Was Levar there? Uh, I know he wasn't, but I, but I, I've never had a chance to, you know. And he's, he's, I, I love Michael Jordan, man. He's. We'll pass this along. How about yeah, that? Yeah. That, I love that. It was good to see you again. Yeah, appreciate, appreciate it. that. Thank good you. luck, coach. And you got a great radio voice. Like, I mean, he's got the best <laughs> radio voice. Does he not? It's pretty good. Well, I mean, that's going I, on the I, show I, I mean, now. I <laughs> mean, it's like, <laughs> <a> double. <laughs> <Yeah. from Clemson. laughs> I mean, it's like. We're going to have a hard <laughs> time getting his ego that's, down. Man, I mean, he was like, born with that, I guess. That
3: yeah. is now going on the show intro that we play every single day. Yeah, now his ego's me out of check. Well, you
6: pretty good, too. There we go. There we go. And now my
3: ego's out of Now we got Master Good to see you, coach. Now, to be fair,
2: Dabo's not going to hit 50 until November, so late in this upcoming season. But, boy, this guy's going to be able to coach at this level for a really long time because he does not look his age, and he's got all that enthusiasm, all of that energy, and that's such a big part of the reason Clemson is where they are right now. So if you want to talk about a guy that could coach for the next 15 years without much of a drop-off, I think Dabo would be that guy. And the fact that he's got two national championships already – and has a good 10 to 15 years left in him easily. That would only take him until 65, not even 70 or 75, where we've seen guys coach until. I mean, look at how old Nick Saban is. That's pretty damn impressive. That's the best of your sports talk for Thursday, July the 18th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone.
1: Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app.